Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Super excited that you're here today. If you're interested in investing passively in a multifamily syndication, we'd love to talk to you. Check us out at nighthawkequity.com. That's our investment firm. Click the join button, join our investor club. You can have a, a call with us and we present you with some upcoming opportunities that you may be interested in. So again, nighthawkequity.com and click the join button. Want to do a shout out to a review on iTunes by GR. 0004. Okay, now you got to really next time maybe pick a username that's a little more user friendly. I'm all for anim anonymity, but come on. Anyway, here's what he and she said. I appreciate it. I've been listening to this podcast for many years now. Never disappoints. Michael Blanc and Garrett Lynch are super knowledgeable about multifamily real estate investing, and they bring on top guests all of our different perspective and bring new ideas to the table every episode. That is indeed what we try to do. Our mission really is to help more people become financially free with real estate, maybe not in the way that you think, which is single family houses. It's actually with apartment buildings. And today on the, on the show, we actually have Jay Scott, where we talk about the journey through single family, through multifamily. Before we get there, we're bringing our co-host Garrett Lynch. What's going on? Hey, Michael. So one of the things that's that's really important, especially we're talking about the transition from single family to multifamily, is uh, reputation. So, for example, in single families, very high number of transactions. It's very common to cancel contracts when you don't find anything in due diligence. But that is not the case in multifamily. In fact, everything really hinges on the relationship with brokers, and it's and anything that you that you do. But talk about why reputation is so important in multifamily. Reputation is so important because that's the one way that you can differentiate yourself from a lot of other groups out there. And so when we went, we wanted to enter like a new market, like Atlanta that we're in, took about a year to get in with the brokers and start to build those relationships. And now I have to maintain those relationships and, and then actually deepen the relationships. And the only, one of the main ways that I can, we can do that is through our reputation. We had to figure out a way, hey, how can we become, have the best reputation in the market? What are some things we can do to enhance that reputation, stand out. Well, one of the ways that we decided to do that was to actually close deals quicker than most groups. And so we now we have to say, hey, we're going to close this deal faster. And then we have to actually do it every time. So you, obviously you have to make sure that you can meet the expectations you set on your reputation. But things like that are really what allow us to win deals over other groups. Well, it's just really important that you do what you say you're going to do in general. In fact, it was one of our core values is you do what you say you're going to do. If you're going to say you're going to, you're going to get back with feedback on a deal to a broker, then get back by whatever time you tell them that a broker. Uh, it's, it's just very, very simple. If we say we're going to close the deal in 45 days, we're going to close the deal in 45 days. And that's how you build reputational capital with these things. And it's important in many ways. Number one is these brokers give you access to off-market deals, number one. But even in a competitive scenario, like we were in just the, uh, just this last deal, the relationship with a broker is absolutely critical because the broker is going to advise the owner and they advise the owner to go with us because we had literally closed another deal in 45 days with the same broker. And even though another party offered $1.2 million more, the listing agent is pivotal to advising. Therefore, regardless of what you do, you have to build relationships and you have to prove to them that you can be trusted. You're competing in a marketplace where there's people that are bigger than you and they have more money. I call them gorillas and I know when they're in the deal against me. And so we have to, to figure out ways to differentiate ourselves from them with reputation. Now, 
we just had a situation where we had, so there were 42 groups in this deal offering. Then they were down to three. We were one of the last three people in the deal. Now it ended up going to crazy terms where we had 2 million worth of earnest money and a, and a million hard day one. That was what those two groups were doing. They were both neck and neck. So we came in and did this exact same thing. Now, now we have three groups, two gorillas and us all competing and they selected us because our reputation is flawless. It is it, every time we've done exactly what we said we we're going to do. And we become the group that's the easiest to work with. That's our MO. So one part of that is if we find something during due diligence that maybe shouldn't be there, or it costs a little bit of extra money, we've already built into the deal a certain amount of CapEx to cover ourselves because it's more advantageous for us to let it go than try to retrade on it in, in the deal. That's part of your reputation. Now, the next deal, you're known as the easiest buyer ever because, oh, you found a huge issue. You let it go and you'll probably do the same thing here. So a lot of ways that this has worked in, in our favor and just some tips for you guys and how you can enhance your reputation in the market. So there's some of the main differences in multifamily and single family. We're going to talk more about that with Jay Scott. Uh, he goes by Jay. He's an all-around entrepreneur, investor, advisor, author. Uh, he's a partner at Bar Down Investments. He grew up in the single family house flipping business. In fact, he did 500, which is markedly more than my 36, which I thought was a lot. So he was a big time house flipper. In fact, he had a pretty big name, he even wrote a book around house flipping with the bigger pockets. And then about 18 months ago, he uh, he transitioned into multifamily and uh, now controls over 500 units, almost approaching 1,000 at this, at this point here. And we uh, really want to talk about the journey from single family to multifamily. And it's not the what you would think it is. It's not a, it's not a logical step from single family to multifamily. In fact, I saw something very similar. It was kind of rocky. And a lot of people think it's a stepping stone. It turns out it's not. So it's a really super interesting conversation with, uh, with Jay. Let's get right into the interview. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. Hey, Jay, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, Michael? Well, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here. I want to know a little bit more about your story and about maybe in two parts, how you got started with real estate and kind of what you've done since then. Because like like so many of us, you know, our real estate careers have multiple stepping stones in there. So talk a little bit more about, you know, how you got started in real estate and maybe why you got started and what, what your initial strategy was. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually came from the corporate world. I was uh, I was an engineer. I was in the tech space for a long time in Silicon Valley, that, as were you. And so did the corporate tech thing for a long time. And then back in 2008, my wife and I decided uh, we were ready to start a family. We, we wanted to get away from working the, the 100-hour work weeks and really find something that would allow us to kind of put our family ahead of our business. Lifestyle, if, 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 if you will. I mean, I think everybody talks about uh, figuring out the work-life balance, but we really wanted to figure it out. So uh, we fell into real estate in 2008 and we started out doing single family. And between 2008 and 2016-ish, we did probably about 500 flips, bought a whole bunch of single family rentals, got pretty well known for doing flips. I, I wrote a few books in the space. And so everybody kind of thought of me as that guy that, that flips houses. 2016, 2017, I was getting more than a little burned out, really burned out on, on single family. So 
I said, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a few months and, and figure out what I want to do next, whether it's in real estate or outside of real estate. That few months turned into two years of kind of bouncing around, doing different things, focused on some other business interests I had. And what I realized after two years was one, really loved real estate, but didn't like flipping houses. Um, and two, I had a bunch of cash that I really wanted to invest in real estate, but I didn't trust anybody else to be investing that money. I'm a, I'm a control freak. So after thinking about it for a little while, I realized multifamily was just a great opportunity for me, one, to jump back into real estate, uh, but two, to find a place that not only could I be active and, and, and really build something great, um, but it was also a great mechanism for me to be able to invest my own cash and, and, and really grow my own, uh, my own wealth. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I flipped houses as well. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I immediately said, oh, flipping houses, obviously. Now, nowhere in Rich Dad, Poor Dad does it say that flipping houses is actually the path to passive. You know, you did way more than I did. I'm curious, why do so many people think that flipping houses is the path of financial freedom? Yeah, and it's funny because I always get the question, I'm, I'm starting out in real estate, what should I do? Should I do? Should I flip or should I buy rentals? And I think what people don't realize is that's not the right question to be asking. In the financial world, I like to think of it as there's two types of income. There's the transactional income. That's the income you trade your time for. And whether it's flipping houses or working a W-2 job, uh, consulting, starting a business, whatever it might be, you're trading your time for money. And when you stop trading your time for money, the money stops. When you stop working, the money stops. Then over here, there's the passive income. And that's the stuff that you're trading your money for more money. So that's things like rental properties or dividend paying stocks or whatever it is that's generating cash flow. And so what I tell people is instead of thinking flipping versus rental, think of it as transactional versus passive. Figure out what your transactional income vehicle is going to be. Is it going to be working a job? Is it going to be a consultant? Is it going to be in real estate? Whatever the highest and best use of your time is, whatever is going to pay you the most per hour, that should be your transactional income. Because again, you're trading your time for that money and then take that money and figure out what your passive income vehicle is and invest that transactional income into your passive vehicle. So that's interesting. And this is one of the reasons I like multifamily syndications because you have both in the same transaction. In other words, you get paid acquisition fees at closing, but then your yeah. equity then pays you downstream, which is great because you're right. Rentals, the problem with rentals is it doesn't really generate a ton of income. You only do it with time. Therefore, you you have this, this cash generation business to flipping, and then you stick it into the, the rentals. But man, you know, the hours you have to work to achieve that is is insane. Uh, yeah. And I never realized that. And, and very few people do. It drives me crazy trying to change that. Absolutely. And the other two reasons I, I really liked the, the multifamily syndication, one, it's a vehicle for me to invest my own cash. I can invest on the LP side along with all my other passive investors and still be a GP, still run the deal. So it really allowed me to, to generate transactional income on the, G, on the GP side and passive income on the LP side. And then if you structure that syndication correctly, you have the opportunity to buy out your investors at some point and hold that property long-term. So it really can end up being a truly passive investment. So that, that was the reason why I, I kind of back in 2017 said, hey, I, I think multifamily is the way to go. I wish I had realized it sooner. Well, I was going to just say, you, you strike me as a slow learner, uh, Jay, uh, kind of like, like, like I was, and I include myself, why didn't we figure that out sooner? In fact, why didn't we bypass it entirely? But why did you not figure that out sooner and go, hey, you know, I flipped a few houses, man. This is kind of insane. Isn't there something better out there? Like, why did you figure it out when you did? Yeah. So for me, it was ego. And I'm willing to admit that. Like, I, I got well known for flipping. I was speaking nationally. I wrote four books. 
Um, everybody knew me as the flip guy. And I didn't want to lose that. I, I mean, starting over in multifamily, and, and we can talk about this, is hard because I essentially, to in many respects, I lost my reputation. I had to start over. I had to learn, not only learn a whole, I wasn't scared of learning a whole bunch of new stuff, um, but it terrified me to think that I no longer had that brand. I no longer had this thing that I could sit back on and just, if I needed to call somebody and talk to somebody, I could just pick up the phone and I could call anybody I wanted in the industry. I could do that in single family. I couldn't do that in multifamily. It was nice knowing if I went out to a, a broker or an agent and said, hey, I'm looking to buy some properties. And that agent said, oh, you're Jay Scott. Yeah, let me bring you stuff. I'd start calling multifamily brokers and they're like, Jay who? 500 flips? I don't care. What, what do I care? You've done 500 flips. That doesn't, that, that gives me, you have no credibility in this space because of what you did in the single family space. So all of that terrified me. And that was the reason that I was hesitant to kind of move out of single family. Uh, but eventually I realized that that was my issue. And I needed to so speaking on that, how did you kind of overcome that? Because I've seen the same thing. I've gone, you know, multifamily conferences and there's huge flippers that show up and they're like, oh, they're like, you know, hiding in the corner. It's tough. You go from being the man to being like not the man, right? So what did you do to kind of speed up the learning curve and overcome that? Yeah. So the first thing for me was to admit that I was basically starting over. I mean, there are some things in single family that translate well to multifamily, but in a lot of respects, there was a whole lot of new learning to do. Um, there was a whole lot of new relationships to build. And so I knew that I probably could do that on my own, given enough time and energy. But there are people out there that are much better at this than I was or I am. And so my, my initial thought was, let's find somebody that's really good at this, figure out how to add value to them, and hopefully they'll teach me and, and add value to my learning. I thought about who in my network, like I really trust in the multifamily space. And there was one person, a, a woman named Ashley Wilson, who I had met several year, years earlier. We had talked about working together for a number of years, but she had gone multifamily back a couple of years before I was thinking about it. And I realized, okay, she's having some good success here. Why don't I reach out to her? So I reached out to her and I said, look, I'm looking for somebody that can teach me this business, somebody that can mentor me. I'm not asking for a handout. I'll come work for you for a year. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Here's what I'm good at. Put me to work. And she uh, very nicely said, yeah, I'd love to, uh, to have you come and, and let's, let's figure out how to work together. And so for about a year, uh, she mentored me and basically taught me the business, let me kind of follow her around in the deal she was doing. And then about a year and a half ago, um, we had an opportunity to do a deal together where she kind of brought me in as a, 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 a small part of the GP. Um, and what we realized through that deal, working from beginning to act with, through acquisition, was that we worked really well together. We had a really nice complementary set of skills. There are things she was really good at that I'm not. There are things I'm really good at that she's not. And once that deal finished, she said, hey, would you consider like joining me full time and, and partnering? And so here we are about a year later, year and a half later. Yeah, I want to talk more about the whole thing about joint venturing, which is really powerful. That wasn't even relevant in the single family space. But there's many differences between single family house investing and multifamily. And there's two things that struck me that surprised me. I'd like to hear your perspective. One is similar to what you talked about. I flipped three dozen houses, which is you know, 12 a year. It's not tiny, but it's you know it's not as big as you guys did. But I was like, I'm a bit of the man. you know. I was known for kind of a house flipper, not to the degree you were. you know. So I, I would call up these brokers and say, hey, I'm the man. Can you send me some deals? And they're like, this is great, Michael. Why don't you send me your proof of funds and I'll send you my deals? And this is, I was like, what is going on right now? 
Right. And the other thing I noticed, I was we had we had raised like a million dollars from private individuals, you know, the six month note, 12 percent interest. And it was great. It was like easy. And I called all these guys up and I said, hey, I'm going to do a, I, I was doing this 12 unit and it's a five year hold. It pays like a lot. And it was crickets, literally crickets. And I really had to bust my butt to get five guys to put in fifty thousand dollars each to fund this multifamily. And the investor mindset was different. They wanted their money back. They, they didn't want to invest, couldn't invest $50,000. And I was blown away. I thought for sure single family house was a logical stepping stone, an easy way that got me into multifamily. And I discovered exactly the, the opposite in that, in that way. Talk about some of the surprises you had when you're like, I'm the man, I'm moving to multifamily. And you're like, what is going on right now? Yeah, I think, I mean, you said it best with, with the brokers. I think one of the things that we tend not to think about in the single family space is deals are quick, deals are easy, opportunities come and go. You, you put a house under contract in the single family space, you back out uh, for whatever reason, you find stuff during due diligence or, or whatever. Yeah, nobody's happy, but everybody moves on and, and, and nobody thinks about it again 12 hours later. In the multifamily space, it's a whole lot different. A broker puts a, a twenty or fifty million dollar complex under under uh, under contract, and now the buyer is all in. I mean, the buyer might be walking two or three or four hundred units, so they're going to have to displace two or three or four hundred tenants for a couple hours. You're going to be auditing all the leases, so basically, the property management company is spun up for a week or two, providing all this information. The buyer is literally spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on due diligence. The seller knows that this is a two or three or four month process to get the property sold. They don't want to have to go through all that more than one time. So literally the most important thing to any broker and probably more important than getting the highest price, probably more important than the smoothest transaction is that guarantee that the buyer is going to close. They want to know that if you get this thing under contract, there is a hundred percent chance you're going to close. And what's the best predictor of that? The fact that you've done it before or the fact that you've done it five times before or 10 times before. And if you go to a broker and have zero track record and basically say, trust me, I'm going to close, that broker is putting his reputation on the line because if he doesn't close that deal with you, well, that seller may not sell with him again. That seller is going to talk to other sellers in the market. That broker could literally lose a lot of their business if you don't perform on a deal that you say you're going to perform on. So it's not that brokers don't want to work with you. It's not that they don't want to like build more relationships. It's that they need a reason to trust you. They need a reason to believe that you're actually going to do what you say you're going to do. And doing 500 flips doesn't give them much confidence that I can close a 20 or $30 million deal. So how do you do that? One, like I said, teaming up with somebody else is a great way to do that. That allows you to kind of hitch, hitch your horse to their post or whatever that saying is. Basically, you get to, to leverage their reputation as long as you're working with them. And so that was a big thing that, that teaming up with Ashley allowed me to do. I had the reputation of her company and her history and, and all the deals she had done in the past to add to my, to my resume and to my repertoire. And then number two, you really need to prove to the, the broker that you're serious. So what I found is anybody that's looking to get a deal in a new market or with a new broker, if you're breaking into multifamily for the first time, um, what really works for me is I'll call up a, a broker and say, hey, here's my buy box. Here's what I'm looking for. Um, I know I've never done a deal with you. Maybe I've never done a deal in this market. I'm not asking you to send me a great deal today. All I'm asking is that you send me a deal today. It can be a deal that you've had on your desk for the last six months. It can be something on market. I don't care. Just send me something. Let me prove to you. I'm going to take that deal. I'm going to underwrite it. I'm going to give you feedback on that deal. 
And then when I do that, all I ask is you send me another deal. And I'll do the same thing. And you keep sending me deals. I'll keep proving to you that I'm not going anywhere. I'm not like the 99% of people that call you, ask for a deal, and then they're out of the market in, in six months. I'll take two or three or four months to prove to you I'm not going anywhere. I'll spend three hours underwriting every deal you send me. And all I ask in return is you just keep sending me a little bit better deals that meet my buy box and meet my criteria. And eventually we'll do a deal together. So that's, that's actually great. I, I like that a lot. So when you're when you're going into this, you know, structure with you're going after, you know, a deal in a market, you give them the buy box, you're talking to them. What happens when you get into a situation where everybody's the same? How are you guys pulling off deals and winning them when everybody's kind of like even? Because that's really, that's, that's the hardest part right now, I think, right? Everybody's kind of that powerful group. What are you doing that's different? Yeah, it's tough. And a lot of it is just a numbers game. I'm not saying you can't differentiate, but at the end of the day, don't think that that you can go and say, hey, there's nothing you can, even the, the biggest buyers out there are losing 100 or 200 deals before they're getting one, because there are a lot of big buyers out there. But some of the things that we like to do first, I have no shame in telling a broker, look, once I've proved to you my underwriting skill, once I've proved to you that I can value a property, if you get a property that you're going to take off market and you just need somebody to help you come up with a whisper price, bring it to me. I'll underwrite the deal. I'll send you my underwriting. Now you've got a whisper price that you can take and you can shop around to your big buyers. And if I can add value doing that a couple of times, all I ask is that you start thinking of me when I spit offers on those deals. So I'm providing the value. I'm saving them time because a lot of brokers are either outsourcing or they're spending hours underwriting these properties just to come up with a, a list price or a whisper price for the market. I'll do that for them. Yeah, I love that. What you're doing is you're providing value to these brokers. What can I do to provide value to the broker? And I love this thing about the, the whisper price because they're like, well, where's the market going to be, right? I mean, how, where are they going to get it from? Well, they need to get it from real buyers. So that provides value. I, I love that. One of the questions I have is at what point should single family house investors think about the shift to multifamily? And what is your advice to people to make that shift based on you know what you've gone through? Yeah. So there are a couple of things. One, and, and this is a big one, and, and I don't want to sugarcoat it. You need access to other people's money. Um, we talk about OPM. If you're going to go to big multifamily, there's really only two ways to do it. You either raise money from a whole lot of small investors or you raise money from one big investor, equity specifically, from, from a whole bunch of small investors or one big investor. Most of us at the beginning of our careers don't have access to the hedge funds or the foundations uh, or the institutional investors. So we're raising our money from bringing in 10 or 50 or 200 individual investors who are each giving us 20 or 50 or $200,000. So if you want to get into this business, you can build that network, you can build that brand and that reputation, and you can build that marketing machine that will allow you to bring in that capital, but that can take months or years. So what I tell people is, think about whether you have access to that capital before you jump into multifamily. If you're thinking about jumping into multifamily, spend six months building relationships in your marketing machine and figuring out where the capital is going to come from before you do it. Because if you jump in today, let's say you get a deal today, even if it's a great deal, you're going to struggle to raise that money. You may have to partner with somebody. You may have to beg, borrow, steal, whatever it is. So instead of doing that, start building that marketing machine and figure out where that money is going to come from before you start making offers. That's number one. The other thing I love about multifamily is in the single family space, what we find is that as you scale in single family, it's very much a step function. So you do one or two properties a year. 
That's pretty easy. You don't have to put in place systems and processes to do that. But you want to get to 10 properties a year, you need some systems and processes. You probably want to hire a project manager. Maybe you want to hire a transaction coordinator. That's great. You want to get to 20 or 30 properties a year? Well, now you have to throw away all those systems that you built, and you have to build a whole new set of systems. It doesn't scale linearly. It doesn't scale. You just add one person, add one more. You really need to put in place a whole new set of systems as you take those step function scaling uh, jumps. If you want to go from 30 to 100 a year, you have to redo everything. So single family doesn't scale well. And typically what I find is that most single family investors will get to a point where they can't figure out how to scale to the next level. They can get from two a year to five a year. They can get from five a year to 10 a year. Maybe they can get from 10 to 20 a year, but then they can't get to a 50 or 100 a year because they just aren't good enough at the systems and processes. What I found in multifamily is that things scale a whole lot more linearly. There's the same pieces of the puzzle every deal you do, whether you're doing one deal at a time or 10 deals at a time. So once you build that team, scaling is really all about just bringing on more people to backfill the tactical issues. It's not changing the strategy. It's not changing the structure of the organization. It's just adding more people to handle more work. So multifamily scales so much better than single family. And typically what I tell people is you outgrow single family because you get to the point where either you can't scale anymore or like me, I probably could have scaled a little bit higher, but I was so burned out and I was so tired I didn't want to. So multifamily is a great place to go when you feel like you've scaled out of single family and you're ready for something else that's bigger, but not necessarily more difficult. Do you think it's possible to skip the single family house investing thing entirely and go right into multifamily? Or do you really think it's a necessary stepping stone? There are certainly some things in single family that make it easier in multifamily. So, I mean, any real estate transaction is going to have many of the same components. You need to know how to do acquisition. Um, you need to know how to do underwriting. You need to know how to do either renovation or asset management. You need to know how to raise money. All of those things are pretty pretty common across all asset classes in real estate. Uh, starting with single family allows you to learn those things when you have a whole lot less money at risk and you probably don't have other people's money at risk, at least not your friends and family's money at risk. One of the nice things about starting in single family is you learn the terminology, you learn the lingo, you learn how a deal is done, you learn the mechanics of it. But I don't think it takes that much more from from jumping from learning the mechanics and the terminology and the basic stuff to jumping into multifamily. Multifamily certainly is a lot more complicated than single family. Um, I see no reason why you can't just jump into multifamily, but knowing how to do the basic renovation pieces and the basic acquisition stuff and the basic fundraising stuff, it's a really good foundation to have before you jump into uh, multifamily. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all it's all about education. I mean, I, I mean, I you know, with the single family house stuff, I just kind of experimented. You know, because the risk is lower, you just gonna get into it and you kind of figure it out, right? Because the risk is lower. Well, with multifamily, the risk is potentially higher. Then why don't you just get some education, attend a yeah. seminar, whatever? That's the difference. I didn't do that. I was like, oh, I can figure this out. How complicated can it be to buy a house and fix it up? So the only difference really is a matter of education. And so why not, instead of buying a house for rental, buy a duplex, which isn't technically a multifamily. I consider it multifamily if you're buying it with a multifamily mindset, meaning you're going to buy a duplex to get into it. And then I might buy a quad and then a 10 unit. Like I'm a, now I'm on a progression that scales. The, the, the difference with houses is I'm just going to buy another house and another house. And it's a, you know, like you said, it's kind of a linear thing. So it's a bit of a, a mindset issue. And then talk about raising, raising that money for their first deal. I mean, for a lot of people, that's a, a major hang up is my gosh, okay, you're right. I do need money in this. I can buy that rental. I, I got some in my IRA or whatever. I got $25,000 to buy that little dupe, whatever. Yeah. And multifamily might need a little bit more money. 
not everybody has that money. So they kind of feel like stuck. You know, how do I how do I bridge that gap? Yeah. And raising money, again, is not easy and it takes time and it takes uh, building relationships. But at the end of the day, if you want to raise money, there are three things you need to give to an investor to have them invest with you. They, they have to like you, they have to trust you, and they have to need you. And if you can get any or all of those things, people are going to be willing to invest with you. On the like side, what people liking you, think about it this way. I mean, we all know that that guy that was in a fraternity in college ends up getting a great job because one of his fraternity brothers runs the company or is doing the hiring. We talk about nepotism all the time. I mean, when people like you, they want to work with you and they're willing to, to do things for you, like give you money. So, so liking is a huge piece. And how do you get somebody to like you? It, it's really, it's empathy. Go read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, that's the, that's the blueprint for, for getting people to like you. You need to be able to relate to them. When you call people, when I, when I call up potential investors, I don't just jump into, hey, I want money. I have a discussion with them. I treat them like another human being. What do we talk about? We talk about the things we have in common, the same thing I talk about with my friends. If they like sports and you like sports, talk about sports. If they like food and you like food, talk about food. Build a relationship. Too many people think of bringing investors into the business as purely transactional, as a business relationship. And that may be in the single family world where you're borrowing money and, and somebody's just getting a, a, a mortgage and promissory note against a, a single family residence. But when you have somebody investing with you for five or 10 years in a syndication, when you want them to invest in three, four, five, 10 deals at a time, when you have somebody that's putting in 50 or 100 or 200K in each deal, they need to know you. They need to like you and they need to have an idea of who you are as a person, not just who you are as an investor, which leads me to number two, which is the trust thing. So we trust people that we know. We trust people that we have a relationship with. You and I, we've talked a couple of times, but I'm not going to ask you to trust me with your money based on a couple of conversations, regardless of me telling you how many single family flips I've done or how many units I own or how many books I've written. I don't expect you to trust me based on that. So you need to trust me based on the relationship we built. So not only is it about empathy and getting somebody to like you, but it's about time. And a lot of times people aren't going to invest with you the day they meet you. In fact, you may be building that relationship for a month or six months or a year or five years. There are plenty of people that I talked to back five years ago who basically said to me, I'm looking for an investment. Let me know. And I reach out to them and I'm like, hey, I'm doing syndication now. Are you interested in investing? They're like, yeah, I'd love to like look at a deal. And they looked at a deal and then they looked at another deal and then they looked at another deal. And I'm thinking, huh, what am I doing wrong? But then on the third or fourth deal, they're like, yeah, let me invest. I just needed to build that relationship. I just needed to build that trust. For me, the one thing I'm really good at, figure out what your superpower is when, when it comes to, to building relationship and trust. I'm really good at education. I'm really good at taking complex topics and making them simple. So for me, I build that trust through education. I let my investors know, one, here are my books. Feel free to go read them. Let me send you a couple copies. But two, if there's anything you don't understand and there's any way I can help you like learn and become a better investor yourself, assuming they're in real estate, come to me. Let me teach you. Let me help you. If they're outside of real estate, let me use my network and my relationships with other people to help you solve your problems. And, and so for me, education is a huge way of building that trust. And then the last piece is that whole needing you. So you want people that actually need you. I'm not in the same position you are, Michael. Michael, you've probably raised enough money with enough investors that there are people out there who think of you as kind of their financial manager. You're their retirement plan. And they're like, yeah, I've invested with Michael for the last X number of years. We've done this many deals. I know that I don't even have to vet his deals. I just hand him my money. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but at some point, 
you're probably thinking they need me more than I need them now. Like they're relying on me to have deals so that they can build their nest egg, that they can build their retirement fund. And so you've built something where your investors need you more than you need them. We don't do that in a month. We don't do that in a year or even a couple of years. That's long term. So what can you do to get somebody to need you short term? Well, if I want to take one of your investors or if I want to convince one of, I'm not going to take any of your investors, but if I want to convince some of your investors to come invest with me as well, I can't just say, I've got this deal. It's just as good as any deal Michael will do. No reason for them to do that. They'll invest with you all day. So what can I do to differentiate myself and make them need me more than they need you or as much as they need you? Well, one thing I can do is I can offer better returns. So I can say, I'm willing to take a lower set of fees. I'm willing to give a higher split to my investors on this deal. I'm willing to take a, a lower return on this deal so that my investors get a better deal. Let them invest with me for one or two or three cycles so that they realize, wow, now I need Jay Scott as much as I need Michael. That would be awesome. Number two, taking more risk. So uh, taking more risk is a, is a huge thing. I tell my investors, look, I'm not going to ask you to invest in any deal that I'm not going to throw at least a few hundred thousand dollars into myself. Not to mention, I'm willing to, if necessary, say, I'm not going to take any fees on my first deal that, that I do. So if, if you're doing your first big deal, be willing to say, I'm going to take some risk. Maybe I'm not going to take any fees or I'm going to take an acquisition fee. I'm going to throw in an escrow. And if I can't at least pay you the prep over the whole period, I'm going to take that acquisition fee and I'm going to hand it back to you. So whatever you need to do to basically prove to your investors that you're in the same boat they are, that you're willing to live and die through your own efforts as much as they are, they're going to start to need you because they're going to realize I can get better. I can get less risk. I can get more money investing with Jay than I can investing with or as much as investing with somebody else. So liking you, trusting you, needing you, those are kind of the three big things I try and do to get my investors to really want to come back time after time. And the other thing is that, that every one of us has a network. And so in, in my case, I was fortunate. Again, I worked in Silicon Valley. I was in the tech space for a long time. I, I have a reputation there. And so I'm able to attract engineers to, to our investments because they like me. They, they trust me. They need me because I'm that engineer that bridges the gap from their tech world to their investing opportunities. So, so I go after the engineers because I can speak their language. I was part of that, that group for such a long time. So that's kind of a competitive advantage for me. One of our, um, our founders in our company, uh, Ashley Wilson's husband, who brilliant guy, he was a professional hockey player and he's got a great network of professional athletes. So many of our investors are professional athletes. That's a core competency. That's somebody we can relate to. That's somebody we can talk to because we know them. We know who they are, what they're looking for, what they need. And so for us, those two groups of people have been very important to helping us really grow our investment base. And I'm sure for anybody, you have your network, you have your groups of people that, that you know and that, that you're uh, well positioned with. So leverage that. So I love this discussion, uh, shining a light on single family to multifamily. We really talked about that. Both of us took that route as insane as, as it was and took us a little while to see the light. But how can people connect with you and learn more about you? Yeah. So to connect with me is actually easy. Connect with jscott.com. And uh, you'll get all the information about me. That'll link you out to everywhere. But uh, Jay, just the letter J, connectwithjscott.com. Anybody that wants to reach out, uh, my email is letterj at jscott.com. Easy enough. And, and I'm available pretty much on every uh, social media network. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty available. That's awesome. It was great having you on your show, Jay. Thanks so much. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jay.
So it's interesting, the, uh, the common thread also is really building, re the reputation is so important. I really like what he said about building a reputation and relationship with brokers, which is how can you add value to brokers, right? So call me, first of all, he's doing what he says he's going to do. Ask the broker, send one deal, even if it's a crap deal, and then you're going to underwrite it and get back to him. Then do that. Do what you say and earn the trust of that broker or tell them to, to call them up for a, an unlisted listing to underwrite and get a whisper price on it. I, I love that. It gives you an opportunity to show them that you're for real and that you do what you say you're going to do, and you're also providing value. Therefore, they're going to think of you first when there's an off-market opportunity or a listing. Yeah, and you know what? It goes back to what I always say is that even doing, even just getting back to the broker is what 99% of people are not doing. They're getting deals they're maybe like they just let them go they don't they don't communicate just communicating and showing that you're for real in that front really can set yourself apart in this industry in general and another thing that i really i really respected about what jay said is that you know he had this he got into multi he got into single family and as he was in single family he had this like ego that was keeping him from making that changeover so i'm sure there's people out there that are listening that are in single family and they're they're maybe stressed about maybe making that jump and i love that he was like listen i just admit this i had an ego in the way and i had to get it out of the way in order to to make that leap and over into multifamily and now it's serving him so well yeah you know for me it wasn't so much ego it was it was kind of ignorance on my part i always i just uh, i associated multifamily with this advanced strategy that i need millions of dollars for and years and years of experience because like I said, the purple book doesn't tell, tell, exactly tell you how to become financially independent. It just says, you know, I am looking at the moon and now it comes passive income and there's real estate involved. And you're like, oh, okay, well, clearly I must flip houses or landlord. I mean, what else is there? So for me, it was more ignorance. And today we know that you can, in fact, skip single family house investing entirely and get right into multifamily. In fact, dozens of people have done it. You can actually learn the art and science of raising capital. You can learn how to become more experienced so brokers take it seriously. It's all a learned skill that you can build in 60 to 90 days. In fact, if you're interested in that and you want to work full-time one-on-one with one of our full-time syndicators, then check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Set up a call to see if mentorship is right for you. It's a great way to accelerate your goals, scale faster, and avoid some of the bigger mistakes. And we'd love to have a chat with you at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that. If you're currently in single family, strongly consider, you know, getting into multifamily. Uh, check out our mentorship program, or if you if you want just to get a precursor, check out our book. It's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate on Amazon. Same title as this podcast. It's also yellow cover for easy identification. Gives you a great introduction into the world of syndication to see what's possible and see if that's right for you. So really enjoyed it, Garrett. Take it easy. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading the free blueprint on closing your first multifamily deal. Head over to themichaelblanc.com slash blueprint to get the free training.